Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. We aren't going to start there, but we're going to spend some time there. So just to get ahead of the game, Romans 12. Wolfie and Bill, it's great to see you all. There you go. <laughs> Show and tell after first light. <laughs> As we've noted before, we're taking this course on biblical counseling from the material made available from Capitol Hill Baptist Church there in Washington, D.C. Um, and you can avail yourself of this material on their website if you like, Capitol Hill. Baptist.org, I think, is the website. You could search on Google for it. And they provide all the handouts if you missed one, and even the manuscripts. And we use those manuscripts quite closely um, and add and subtract as per our need for the church here, but um, give them the credit for and um, thank them for their hard work in putting this together. Where we're going today, uh, today I want us to see very clearly that the congregation has a responsibility, and I think you may have a this a type of this statement, maybe it, it's number B on your handout there, but a responsibility, and I would underline that, and if you had the ability to do it, I would tell you to bold it, a responsibility to disciple and care for one another with God's Word. It's not something that is a choice. It's not something that we can do when we feel like it. It's our responsibility as believers in a local congregation to disciple and care for one another with God's word. Members of the same local church have a fundamental responsibility to counsel the word to one another. It's not a choice. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fundamental responsibility. It's something that comes with being a Christian in a local church is ministering the word to one another. Now, there's a false assumption that comes Oftentimes, or the flip side of that main point is the fact that Christians often think that discipleship or biblical counseling or spiritual growth or all these different things or help in crisis is the primary responsibility for a professional. The lay Christian isn't, doesn't seem to think that they may be up to speed with the ability to minister the word to someone and they're thinking, well, We've paid the pastors, right? That's what they're supposed to do. Or you can go to that professional counselor that's got all those numbers and letters behind his name. Surely he can be the one who can help. I can't. Let me read you a little story here. There was a young lady. This is not our congregation. There was a young lady who was struggling in a congregation, and one of the wives in the church was starting to get deeply invested in this young lady's life. Mind you, it was costly for this wife and her family, but she was, with her husband's guidance, modeling sacrificial living for the sake of the gospel. She was having this young lady over to their home for meals. When things were rough, the wife would have her sleep over at their house. At one point, this young lady's struggles got pretty severe, so the wife called an evangelical psychiatrist who was involved in the whole situation, and she asked a fairly basic but important question. To what extent should I, as a layperson, be involved in this young lady's problems, especially since they are fairly severe? The psychiatrist was quite direct in his response. You need to stay out. Aside from praying for her, leave it to the professionals to take care of her. End quote. Now, I 
don't know this psychiatrist, and I'm sure they had the best intentions at heart, but it's typically the line of thinking that there's this chasm. And you got the people in the church that are just the normal people, and then if you got need help, you go outside the church or you go to one of the paid staff in order to get the help that you need. And I don't think that's right. I think that's not modeled in Scripture by any stretch of the imagination. And we'll see this in just a second. When you think of how Christ responded, and we could also make the case, well, that's Christ, so he's always going to respond perfectly. That's right. But Christ is the Word, and the Word is God, and we have the living Word in front of us today. And we can take that same Word the same way Christ used it and apply it to people's lives. Let's look in your Bible in Romans. There are many places in Scripture in the New Testament designated as the one another's, one another's. And it's the, it's the way that we are supposed to relate to one another as Christians in the local church. And there's a bunch of them. Um, I'm going to give just the ones in Romans 12 through 15. And you have a few other uh, verses on your handout there that you can go to. And I would encourage you to take a t- some time uh, out of your day at some point and look up all the one another's because it's pretty eye-opening. It's very... Uh, declarative as to how we should deal with one another. So look at, just look with me there in just Romans 12, just simply looking at a few things. Romans 12, verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. So we've got a devotion to one another in love, and we've got a giving preference to one another. Outdo one another in showing honor. Going down to verse 16 of Romans 12. Live in harmony with one another. So that's to we're to be of the, the same mind in Christ. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Look over at Romans 14, maybe a other side of the page or a page or two over. Romans 14, verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. But not to quarrel over opinions. Now, what they're not saying here is you keep a weak brother in weak. But what they're saying is when a weak brother comes, you accept him as a person of faith without withholding judgment on him. Look at verse 19 of Romans 14. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. First Thessalonians 5.11 says build one another up. And that's what's being said here. We're to build one another up in the Lord. Encourage one another. Let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. How about Romans 15, verse 5? May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. Live in harmony with one another. Verse 7 of Romans 15. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. We want to begin a, a ministry in this church in this coming year of greeting, where we have people that are designated to greet people when they come in the front door of the church. This is the basis for that greeting ministry. We greet one another because Christ has greeted us. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. How about Romans 15, verse 14? I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct, or we could say counsel one another. 
We're commanded in Scripture in dealing with one another to minister the word to each other, to be devoted to one another, to love one another, to accept one another, to be patient, to be kind, to be compassionate, to be forgiving. And you can see in Romans 15, verse 14, to instruct or to counsel one another with the word. Making disciples and counseling with God's word is supremely the work of the church and not professional parachurch counselors. Now, I will say that parachurch counselors have their place. We're not saying they don't. But the, 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 the main emphasis for making disciples and counseling with God's word should be the work of the church. There are uh, many professional counselors that handle God's word well, and they can be used and utilized quite well, but they shouldn't be the main place to go. It should be the local church. Some Christians too quickly pass off difficult situations to professional counselors outside of the church, not really thinking about how that makes a statement about power and effect and the effectiveness of gospel of the gospel and God's work in local congregations. And I would add to that that when we push people out, what we're basically saying is that the ability that the power ability of the Holy Spirit has through the Word of God to change lives isn't really that big. Because, yeah, you've got a serious problem here, and yes, we believe in the sufficiency of Scripture, but eh, yours might be a little too big. So it really doesn't have the power to change a life. Uh, the professional has the power to change the life. Well, that may not be what we're trying to communicate, but in fact, that's what it is. Most Christians want to save face and wear a mask when they come to church. They are scared of exposing themselves at church, probably out of fear of man or fear of rejection. They would rather be vulnerable with a counselor in private practice than open up their lives to those who they see every week at church. And if we are making a continual practice to move others and their troubles in our lives to the professional, we are fostering an ethos or an environment that is superficial and surface level. Or, another way to say it, we're promoting the mask. Wear the mask because we don't want to deal with it. As compared to... Take off the mask because we believe that the Bible gives us the ability through the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God and prayer to make change. The church is the best context for discipling and counseling others. The church should be the normative place for Christian relationships and Christian discipleship counseling. And I think this is huge. I want to contend that the church is the normative place for Christians to work out their problems. That's the normal place. It's not the only place, but it should be the normal place that we go. We want to see you face your difficulties in the context of a loving Christian community where the difficulties can be addressed in love, rooted in the truth of God's word. If you look at the membership document at our, on our website there, or that you have signed if you're a member of this church, it speaks to this. It speaks to this the sense of how we're to live uh, together as a family. And there's some verses of Scripture, and then there's a statement. Let me read them. Hebrews 10, 24. Stimulate one another into love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembly together. Teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Colossians 3. 1 Peter 4.10 As each of you has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. 1 Corinthians 12.25, the members should have the same care for one another. Romans 12.13, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. These are ways that we, we live as the body of Christ. 
And then there's a statement. As a member of Fredericksburg Christian Fellowship, I purpose to welcome the kindly reminders and patient help of my spiritual family to encourage me toward obedience and faithfulness, according to 1 Thessalonians 5.14, to build one another up. That's the way we're to exist with one another, is in the context of building one another, making disciples, encouraging one another, and also receiving that. We often use the the, uh, the term making disciples. We want to make disciples. We want to go out into the world, make disciples. We want to make disciples within the church. And it should be the centerpiece of any church that should have a discipleship culture. We should be making disciples. All with the purpose of encouraging one another in the growth in personal holiness. And that should primarily happen within the people next to you in the pew. As compared to the top down, it should happen more horizontally. Let me give a, uh, I don't have a marker, but let me give a, an, a war analogy to maybe help with this. So the body of Christ, you all, are on the front lines of making disciples. And the front lines mainly happen in conversations each day. Whether it's emails or it's phone calls, it's texts, it's conversations that you're having with your spouse, with your children, whatever it may be, your next-door neighbor, it mainly is happening in this in this conversation sphere. And you have an opportunity through every conversation every single day to help point people to Christ. And you have the opportunity to minister the word to people and you're having probably way more opportunity than even some that are like us in full-time pastorate to actually minister to people in their time of need. Because they don't come, y'all don't come to us until it's bad. <laughs> so you go to your your friend or your mom or your dad or your brother or your cousin or your best friend or whatever and say, hey, I'm really struggling with this. And that's, that's you. You're on the front lines in conversations every day being able to minister the word to one another and encourage one another in the Lord. Now, if you take it one step back from that, so that's the front lines, right? Well, one step back, the next wave going in on the front lines would be what I would say would be Titus 2 and Titus, Titus 2 women and Titus 2 men. Men, we are Titus 2 as well, not just women. Titus 2 in the sense that these are older, godly, more mature Christians who have the ability. They're, they're also having their front line opportunities, but they're also as well as developing their helping on the front lines, they're ministering to those people, you. You may have someone that you uh, that is mentoring you or that has been discipling you or that you call and say, hey, how do I handle this situation? It's not your situation. It's a situation you're involved with. Well, those are the that's the second wave. And we're all as we grow and mature in our faith, we eventually get to that second wave. Well, then let's carry the analogy one step further. So you've got the front lines, which is you, and you're dealing with this in conversation, and then you've got one step back, which is sort of the, the more mature Titus II disciple makers, which we're all in that, but they're ministering to you. And then you take that another step way back, and way at the back of the battlefield is the, the mobile hospital or the mass unit. And you only send patients from the front line all the way to the very back when it gets really bad really bad and in a sense that is what uh, the whether it's the professional counselor or uh, the pastor or the elder 
it get we're, we're the ones who have the triage units way in the back that are helping to stem the tide of whatever's going on. But if you all aren't doing that work, which is your main job, is to work that front lines, then the mass unit can't handle it all. And people end up getting passed through that desperately need help because this person over here could have been ministered very faithfully to by someone within the local congregation. The congregation might choose to set aside some folks, and we, we want to start in this church and hopefully in 2016 a, a, a counseling ministry in the sense of being able to invite people that don't go to this church if they want free biblical counseling to come and do that. So there are those in the church that are gifted counselors that you set up or that we set aside that are that mobile hospital unit. But really, the main work is the front lines, and y'all are the front lines. Now, if you realize that you're the front lines, what your first response might be, and you see it on your handout there, is, I can't do this, and I'm not equipped, and I'm not skilled, or I'm not ready, or whatever. And that would be the natural reaction to anything. You know, you get trained for something, and it sounds good here, and then you actually go out and try to do it, and you realize, whoa, they, my training had a few holes in it. Well, it may not have a huge hole, few holes as much as it's, it's now being met with a reality. So if you hear the word depression or marital conflict or guidance questions such as, should I marry this person or not marry this person? Or what do I do with my life? Or should I take this job or not take this job? Or what about this sexual temptation I'm dealing with? Or what about this eating disorder? Oh, well, I, I was just trained on how to deal with anger. I can't help you on that one. Those are real life things. And the tendency is to say, I can't touch this, and I don't really have any skills in this area. And yet, we would say that the Bible says that a Christian who seeks to live faithfully and to live according to God's word can help in most every situation. They may not be the only help, but they can provide some help. And you may not be able to fix the problem entirely, but you can certainly get them uh, pointed in the right direction through the help of God, through, through God's word. So let's let's take a, just a little moment here and um, think through a situation. I'm going to set up this situation, and uh, then I want you all to give me a little feedback. So let's take uh, the marital conflict situation. Since nobody has marital conflict in this room, then we shouldn't have any problem dealing with this. Suppose you have a fellow church member who you meet up with for lunch, and he or she confessed that he or she was struggling Let's just call it the guy. Since I'm a guy, we'll just call it the guy. Ladies, y'all don't struggle with this, obviously. He confessed that he was struggling in his marriage and wanted some counsel on how to deal with marital conflict. Young ladies, or ladies, if you're dealing with the situation, obviously you'd probably be a woman. So somebody comes to you, the, the confessor dealing with some marital conflict. First of all, I want to ask, what would that question sound like? What, if I'm asking... Tom Proach. Tom, I'm having some struggle with my marriage. We're not having any trouble with our marriage. Okay, hear that clearly. What would that sound like to you? Well, how would I probably ask you? Or what would it sound like? And I probably wouldn't come out going, hey, Tom, yeah. You know what? You have to dig right. Well, what, my, what would my first question probably sound like to you? Would it sound like I'm having marital conflict? No. Probably not. Bill? Yeah, I've heard of somebody else that has marital conflict. What were you say? Well, I was just going to say is that a lot of times you say, well, you know, I'm just having some struggles. You're just struggling. And you, you don't know what it is. Right. What kind of struggles? Well, where are the struggles? Right. 
So we probably all, all heard this, or someone says, how you doing? Cody. I'm fine. I'm going to go way past that yeah. and say, when we, when we um, cultivate an environment of listening yes. and, and sensitivity, then last week when I asked somebody, because I was, it's, we need to talk about this. I need help with this. Right. You don't have to ask how the weather is. Right. You can go straight into it. And that takes, that takes obviously, um, can be time to develop that. But at the same time, for us on the side somebody's asking us, you're going to hear something like, well, I'm okay, just things have been a little hard. Or, well, you know, there's some little, little difficulty. Or, yeah, whatever it would be. You're going to hear, you're not going to hear marital conflict. So you've got to... Remember, we've talked about the when we talked about the heart. You got to you got to ask the you got to ask hard questions now. You got to then move to asking some more difficult things to get down to the surface level. Okay, so that's what it's going to sound like, and uh, now you get an opportunity to ask a question back, and you're going to um, ask them something, or you're going to give them a, a scripture, or you're going to give them some counsel. So what would, what might you ask them? You can see this person. Uh, this week, I, a, a gentleman called me, and you could hear on the phone that there was something wrong. And I, when I walked up to meet him, you could see physic- physically that there was something wrong. So I knew I, I was going to ask, how you doing? And I knew I was going to hear, eh, things aren't so good. And, but you could physically see things weren't so good. So what would you ask? I'm asking you that. What would you ask? Daddy? Yeah. What else? Katie? Okay. Good. That's a good question. If you if you could ask God to fix one question, one thing in your life right now, what would it be? Wolfie. Good. Yep. You could ask him just tell me what's going on. Yep. And then see what the response is. If they say, well, I'm just having kind of some struggle, you know, at the house. Sure. Describe what the struggle is. Mm-hmm. How long have they been asking this struggle from our wise biblical counselor, Will, back there? Yes, Elliot. Yeah. Do you feel too scared to tell God about this difficulty? So these are some good questions. You might ask him, um, what is the main source of the difficulty right now? He said things have not been going so well. What's the main source? Cody, sometimes you don't know. Yeah. And I got this from somebody very close to me. If you were going to put in a new sink and you didn't know how to put it in, <laughs> you wouldn't have a problem in the world studying up on how to put it in and asking somebody who knows. Right. So let's say the person says, well, you know, there's, we've been having some, some fights over some different things and we've been quarreling over this or that. Well, you want to be able to get to the heart of some different things. And typically when there's any conflict, whether it's a parent-child or a friend-to-friend or whatever, it's typically 
if this person would just fix their issues, then I'd be fine, right? Because it's them against them, right? It's not me, it's them. If they just fix it, they'd be fine. Or if I could just stop saying these things the way I'm saying them, then then things wouldn't be so bad. Or if I just would stop having a bad attitude. But see, that's all surface. That's all surface. We're not dealing with the heart yet. So one thing you could do is you could take him to James 4, 1 through 2. And this just cuts right through it. What causes quarrels and fights among you? The lust of your heart. The desires of your heart. So you're immediately going to helping them understand. Yeah, the spouse is part of the problem, but the main part of the problem is your heart. And let's deal with what is your heart motivation? What are you coveting? What are you wanting enough that you're willing to sin to get it? These are heart questions that we can get down to. So you'd ask them good questions. James 4, 1 through 2 is a great place to start. Obviously, if they're struggling with some other things, you can take them there. But you're wanting to take them to the God's word, help them to see their heart. And then helping to see how either Christ is going, lifts them, encourages them if they're needing that, or also uh, supplies for them all that they need, pointing them toward Christ. And this would be something that uh, can be done with not just obviously a marital conflict with anyone. You're wanting to take the focus off the situation and put it on the real enemy, which is our old flesh, our own hearts. Now, it's not all the time that. It could be the other person is really sinning against them. And um, you're not sinning in return and you're having to deal with the pain. Well, how do you deal with the pain? Well, that can be described in Scripture as well. But this is what we're wanting to do is we're wanting to help people see how their heart can be comforted by the Word of God or moved in in the right motivation toward Christ and toward living as unto Him. This can be done with, obviously, uh, our children. This can be done with co-workers, friends. But we're needing to start with good questions and then moving to Scripture. So you can see that, was, that wasn't really too difficult. Even some of the young boys in here had some really good questions. So a lot of so it's just common sense and some understanding of the Bible and a deliberateness to be involved in people's lives. And you can really begin to assist people with the Word of God. And if you stick with the Word of God, you'll never go wrong. Now... <clears throat> You might feel like that's something you want to do, but you're just not able to do it because you don't have enough experience or you don't know the Word of God well enough or you don't know how you would approach someone if they had a particular situation that you don't know how to deal with. And I would say that that's more of a a confidence thing than it is a practical thing because if you use this word in prayer and you start with what you know, You don't have to necessarily start with where you don't know. Start with what you know. What do you know? Well, you know Christ died for you. You know that we are to love him. We know that the first two greatest commandments are based in love. You you can start there and hang out there for quite some time. And then God will give grace. Or you can just say, I know this much. Let me go study and I'll come back and let's have a meeting next Tuesday at 6. And we'll talk more about this. And I'll be praying. Or can I... Go talk to my pastor about this. 
So you're on the front lines, but I would encourage you, even if you don't feel like you're just totally able to do that, if somebody asks you a question about some difficulty they're having in life, to just skip it. I would say dive into it with the Word of God, confidence in the Word of God, and you'll be very surprised at, number one, the grace God gives you to help them, and two, the grace He gives you to cover mistakes that you make. Because those will certainly happen. And you will see victory like you may have never seen it before. You'll see victory over sin through the power of God's word that will really encourage your heart to continue to minister to others. When do we seek out others? We put a lot of emphasis this morning on being invested in the lives of others and counseling the word to one another. But we want to say for some clarity's sake, and you have this on your handout, what we are not saying is that you have to sort through people's problems all on your own. It's just you on the front lines and there's nobody behind you and you've got to figure it out. Or that uh, you as a church member have to deal with this without any help. Or that the pastors don't really care about counseling the members. We just want you guys to do it so we can do whatever. Or that the pastors expect you, the members, to fix other people's problems. That's not uh, the case at all. That's not what we're saying. God has given us rich blessings by providing under-shepherds or pastors or elders for churches. And these are men who seek to provide counseling and encouragement through private and public proclamation of God's word to God's people. And we're charged to feed the sheep and we're charged to protect the sheep and we're charged to guide the sheep, just like a real shepherd. And all of us, including us that are pastors, would be fools not to take advantage of the means God has provided. For me as a pastor to go to another pastor to ask for guidance or help to assist us in becoming more like Christ. So I would say on behalf of the pastors, both in this church and churches abroad, that we want to help. We want to help as much as we possibly can and to not be scared to come to us in times of difficulty, even if it seems like these things shouldn't be difficult. I've had people tell me, I, I know this sounds really silly. I know this sounds so simple. I know this sounds, but but I need some help. And my first answer is, it's not silly, and it's not simple because we're dealing with the human heart, and neither one of those things are silly or simple. And we would, uh, more often than not, as pastors say, we want to be involved sooner than later. Not because we want to get in and be a part of your business. We just want to... We want to be a part of your lives and and love on you with the word of God and be able to bring truth to bear in that situation in a loving way. So oftentimes we we hear about things that are far too far along, or problems that get pretty far along before any help is asked for. And on the flip side of that, I've had people call me and say, I'm helping someone in this church with this. What are you all telling him? This is what I'm telling him. Do you agree? I love that is so helpful. That would really help us. That's helping us be the second and the third line and, uh, and encouraging you all. So when do you need to turn to a pastor in the midst of helping someone with their problems? And they've got a, some bullet points here. Let me read those. There is no exact formula here. Here's a couple guidelines. If you know the person's problem is significant and that no one or really few, very few people know you can either encourage them to come speak with a pastor or get permission to talk with a pastor on their behalf. Let me tell you that confidentiality is, for you all, is a, is a very dangerous thing and not a loving thing to promise. Because if somebody says, look, I've never told anything about anybody about this, can I tell you? 
you should be saying, if they've never told anything, anybody about this, this could be something that either I don't need to know or if I do know about it, I'm in a precarious position. So you can say, I will be confidential as long as I am able. But if this is a situation where whether it's you know, you've done something against the law, you've broken the law, then we, I, I've got to take it to the authorities. Or if this is something I can't help with, I'm go- you have to know that out of love for you, I'm going to go ask someone to help. So I'm certainly not going to post the problems on Facebook, as it were, but we're also not going to just sit on whatever they're asking you. If you're feeling overwhelmed with the problem and don't know how to handle it, that would be a time to go to a pastor. If you don't know where to go in a scripture or how to apply a scripture to this particular problem, come see us. If you are scared that this person is going to do physical or spiritual harm to themselves or others and you feel you need to help in slowing them down, then go get some help. If you feel like someone is out of control with their sin and a good place to start, if if you hear someone say, I don't think it's a huge problem, I just can't seem to get over it. It might be out of control with their sin. If you... um, if you know that the other person's sin is public and scandalous, then it should not be. You should be going to a pastor. If it's something against the law, skip the pastor and go to the law. If you want guidance on how to help someone else, if you want guidance on how to help someone else, time to go to a pastor. Keep in mind that in order to talk with one of the elders, you can't promise confidentiality. This is what I was just saying. A person might start the conversation with you, I'm going to tell you something and you must promise not to tell anyone else. And if they do that, you can graciously respond, sorry, but I never can promise absolute confidentiality. I just ask that you trust me that I will seek to do whatever is wise with the information is given. Proverbs 28.13 says, he who conceals a matter uh, is not able to break through. It's not wise or loving to promise confidentiality, but he who uncovers a matter is able to receive mercy. In conclusion... If, and if you, go, if you go to one of the pastors or elders, uh, you're not getting out. You're just asking for help. Yes, ma'am. I, I totally agree, and you're exactly right on the confidentiality, but I also would say Yes, thank you for clarifying that. Yes, no, and no way are we saying, well, I'm not promising confidentiality, so did you hear about so-and-so? Or one of those... One of those those public prayers, so-and-so is really struggling, and everybody in the church is going, oh, really? Yes, thank you, Benny. Yes. It is a matter of love and trust there. Either love and trust to have their confidence or love and trust to help them with where they need if it's if it's something that warrants that there's a there's an opportunity that arises when you are visiting with someone that you you may have a platform of intimacy with but you cross over the point of their comfort level and then you start getting pushback Mm -hmm. so at that point i think you have to depend on the spirit to say do you need to press forward mm-hmm. or do you need to move backwards? Mm-hmm. Yes. 
Yeah, and that's, that's a uh, – actually, there's a situation um, I was thinking about the other day, uh, that exact fact going when it's it, – you really have to pray and seek the Holy Spirit's help on that to know – they're saying, don't bother me with this anymore. When to keep pressing in love and then when to back off in love. And that's really, that's not a cookie-cutter situation. I, I find maybe sometimes helpful is that if I'm visiting with someone and I do have a platform of intimacy with them, but at some point we've crossed that threshold of they're starting to give me some pushback, and that's usually when the Spirit says, well, just ask them what you can pray for. Because at that point... You know, their prayer request is going to reflect their desire sure. for a solution. Right. God's word to intervene. Or it may be the, you know, just yeah, pray for me for my health and, you know, for my business and, you know, that kind of thing. But if they say the prayer request is part of that issue, then, then a lot of times it's they're really, really struggling on, in, on the inside about it. Mm-hmm. I agree. Conclusion here. We have seen how biblical counseling is a fundamental responsibility of Christians and fellow members Members in the local congregation are called upon to disciple and counsel one another with God's word. We don't take this responsibility lightly, but want to seriously um, approach the opportunity to provide godly counsel for others. As we continue to take advantage of opportunities, we will grow in our understanding and skill in asking good questions and ministering, applying scripture to one another. We want to turn to our pastors at the appropriate time for help, but we also want to stay involved and not pass the problem off. Let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, we see the responsibility uh, divinely given to us to be involved in one another's lives and to love on one another and to care for one another and to exhort one another and to rebuke one another and to challenge one another and lift one another up and uh, motivate one another to godliness all through the Word of God, Lord. So may we never base our counsel off anything but the Word and only the Word. May we always tell the truth and nothing but the truth, Father. May we do so by the power of Your Spirit. May we be very sensitive to Your leading. May we be men and women that are praying without ceasing as we interact with one another. That we might handle one another in a way that is loving and is careful Realizing, Father, that we are people and we're not uh, objects that can just be thrown around or uh, used or practiced on, as it were. But we want to uh, realize that um, there are souls at stake here. Our souls are at stake. Father, I pray that we might uh, grow as a church here at FCF in in this matter of encouraging one another in the word. That our the tendency is we all have uh, to some differing degrees to come to this Sunday service or the Wednesday service or this event or that event with a mask covering what's going on, that this might be an area where we are, even in the uncomfortableness of it all, comfortable with allowing our problems uh, in the right way and in, in, in the, to the right people to be made known that we're, that those issues might be addressed uh, in love and rooted and grounded in the truth of God's word. Father, we never want to be transparent just to show the fact that we're transparent. We want to be transparent in order that we might change to be more like Christ. 
So we ask that you would help us in this endeavor. We pray for our next service here in a few minutes as we prepare our hearts for worship with singing and uh, meditating on your word, that you would be with us and that you would lead us and that you would guide us and that you would guide now our conversations as we have the opportunity to practically apply ministering to one another. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.